Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Click, pay, and download instantly. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Today I have an awesome guest. Cameron, thanks for coming on. Yeah, you bet. We're going to talk some business. Uh, So I like to bring people in with different experiences, different roles. We've had uh, people who own shops, people who invest, um, bankers, all kinds of different things. And what do you do? Uh, Right now I own a small construction company and we kind of focus on remodels, kitchens and baths. In Fort Worth, Texas. Correct, yeah, Fort Worth, Texas. So how long have you been doing business? Uh, this business is about three years now. And what do you think about business? Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's also pretty scary sometimes, and it's hard. But I wish that I had started earlier in my life is what I always think about. And you're, business. what, 30? 33, yeah. So 33, so you started this at 30. So did you work for somebody else before you started going into this? How would that genesis occur that you got into construction um so i worked for a marketing company that was probably like one of the longest jobs that i had for about five years and i got a lot of different training opportunities there and kind of web design marketing paid advertising um and i'm not a career construction guy like i didn't work you know as a framer when i was 18 to 25 um I would say that I've always been kind of a builder, a mechanical guy. I have a lot of mechanical experience working on different types of machines. You probably watched Bob the Builder growing yeah, up. Yeah. I mean, I watched this old house, stuff like that. I mean, I built all all sorts of construction type stuff before I did it professionally. Um, but I had a buddy that owned his own business, had probably been doing it about four or five years. He was based in Nacogdoches, Texas, and uh, it was a guy from church that I knew. And, um, I was kind of, I had, I had tried to start another business before this, which was kind of more of like a media marketing company. I got my drone part 107 certification and was trying to kind of do the video thing and the YouTube channel thing. That's hard to do. It's very hard. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of realized that I, that probably wasn't the right path for me at that time. I think that's turns out, I think that's really a great supplement to like another type of business. It's mm-hmm. really helpful to kind of market yourself, but not as like a full-time thing, not a right. filmmaker. That just wasn't me. So I was really just kind of looking for some work and it, it's kind of weird because construction was always like a field that for some reason I was like, man, I feel like I would be a good construction guy, but I was like afraid to go into it because my mindset on construction was like, I'm going to work 60 hours a week. My body's going to get destroyed. And it just sounds really... Which can and cannot happen, right? It's one of those 
Exactly. You're a product of your own environment. Yeah. And to be honest, that was really grounded in nothing except just stuff that I heard or just imagining like being on my hands and knees laying tile all week. I mean, it sounds hard, you know, but I was just kind of good for us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So I don't know. I just never went into it. But then I started working with him and I just realized like, man, I really like working with my hands Mm -hmm. and having like a tangible thing. You know, I was in like advertising, which is sometimes kind of intangible. You don't really see the fruits of your labor, but it's like when you do construction, it could be months, but like when you're done, it's like, I built that. Yeah. You get to see it. And that's something that really was Some things they endure, right? Like uh, one of the things I love to see is like going downtown, going into small towns and seeing these buildings that were built and they have the established in 1800. It's like, that's been there for over a hundred years. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine the mindset of those guys, right? They're thinking the same thing. This, I'm going to put my all into this. This is gonna stand. Is this gonna stand the test of times? I I like that aspect as well. Yeah, construction, and so I started working with him, and I realized like, hey, this is a pretty good fit. I like it, and we kind of partnered up. It wasn't like a real formal partnership. We basically just kind of worked together, and whatever jobs either of us got, we just kind of split it. And after about a year, year and a half, he moved to California. He he was already engaged at the time and it was kind of the plan for him to move. And the plan was for me just to continue um, with Project Partners. That's the name of the business. And I, I really wanted to get into like bigger, we kind of did smaller stuff on the, you know, shed siding repair, kind of smaller and carpentry projects, maybe a little bit of remodel flooring, um, just kind of random things, but I wanted to get into more like bigger remodel type mm-hmm. projects where it's like a full scope. And after he left, I kind of, we did a couple of those together towards the end of, of our time working together. But then after he left, I pretty much tried to kind of seek out most of And did you them. change your name? No, we had the same name. And the funny thing was that was actually, he thought of that name and we just kind of went with it. So he always jokes that like, you know, he's, it's still his business cause he yeah. came up with it. But what does he do in California now? Well, he moved back actually recently. Okay. He was doing the same thing. Um, he he kind of had his own. Had he been to California before? Um, not not really. That's I mean, we have back. a lot of like church network people out there, sure. but yeah, it's uh, you know, it's he didn't like it. He's yeah. he's a conservative. Why would you? Guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's way it's more a, complicated. Well, California is an anti-business state. Exactly. So, yeah. if, so you're, if you're if you're an entrepreneur, California is not the place for you because they hate. You, they they squash your dreams. They find exactly. out what your dream is, and, and then they, they take red tape it. it. Yeah, and then they they squash it, and they're like, "We're not going to let you have that." Exactly. So yeah, he did not last too long out there, which with COVID and all that made it even worse. And sure. so he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to get out of here." Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah, I've been there a couple times during COVID, and psh, you can have it. Yeah, exactly. So um, okay, so you've been doing this for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, got some experience in there. Um, what is a what is the greatest struggle that you've experienced in having your own business? Mm, I mean, cash flow is always a big one. I think the other thing is just learning how to wear all the hats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're starting up, especially if you're just not a super experienced business guy, you do, there's just a lot of self-learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm not an accountant, I can do math pretty well, but I've had to learn how to like keep my books in order. Sure. Um, you know, I'm not a expert trained project manager, but I've had to figure out how to make organization and write stuff down. And 
but I think just the challenge of trying to do all those things and not drop the ball in all the different categories is pretty challenging. The juggling aspect. Yeah, the, just kind of the juggling of all the different hats. Yeah. And do you have employees? Uh, not currently. I yeah. did have about two last year. Well, some of this year and then the years before. But right And there's now, some challenges within that. Even. For sure, yeah. yeah. In some ways, it's kind of nice not having employees. I'm sure you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Less to worry about, but also just harder on me. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, not not currently right now. Well, you're now, trading just... one form of work for another. Correct, yeah. Yeah, now I just use either I do it myself a lot of times or I will uh, subcontract whatever I need to be done. Yeah. So, in, I mean, now's a good time, I think, to be in the trades. Mm-hmm. Um, was for the sure. trades, as you were growing up through high school and in... Uh, your early 20s and things, was that something that you had thought about or was that just like the furthest thing from your mind? I had definitely thought about it a lot. Uh, like I like I mentioned, I kind of, I think a lot of it was just culturally, the trades are kind of looked down upon and I think For that's sure a huge are, yeah. mistake. Yeah. Uh, the more I get into this and the more I realize how valuable trade working is, uh, I, I feel like a lot of, individuals are missing out on an opportunity to get into a really um, possibly lucrative depends on how hard you want to work but just a good career I mean yeah it's going to be hard work it's going to be dirty most of them are but it's very fulfilling and I think that you know growing up like that was part of that fear I mentioned was kind of mm-hmm. like I don't want to be like a an AC or a tile guy you know mm-hmm. like for some reason it it was kind of like I think my it was less than yeah, my generation. I mean, that, is I like mean that's the reality. Job, people look. Yeah, yeah, people look at the trades as a as a. It's a less than ideal. Like, oh, you couldn't do this, so, so then now you had you to just, go do that. Yeah, exactly. And I've never looked at it that way, um, and a lot of people do. Unfortunately, you know, they yeah. they look down on the trades, be, and you know, there's a huge push for college, and then you know, these students are graduating college. Or maybe not even graduating, and you know they got two years of school with nothing to show for it. Um, but they're coming out with twenty to sixty thousand dollars in debt, and then not a great job. I mean, you know how many waiters and waitresses I know, or I've, or I've met that have a bachelor's degree. Yeah, you know absolutely. What I, mean? I mean, I have friends that spend a lot in school, and like they're not really just killing it or anything. Yeah. They got like a job they don't even like that much. Sure, and it's like man. That's that sounds rough. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, and I think that there's, and I'm not just saying even in the trades, but just entrepreneur entrepreneurship is dying on the vine. It seems as yeah, it seems I like think, you know. I think that's true. Yeah, a lot of people, like you're saying, college is kind of a a big push. It's like you got to go to college, you got to get a degree, you got to uh, go work for a big company and get good benefits and get a good salary. That's like the that's kind of the top, the thing that people are pushing towards. But like, no, not that many people are talking about starting a business, like being self-employed. Yeah, you know, kind of finding your own path in that. And I mean, did you experience that in school? Because I didn't experience. Uh, uh, did Did they talk about entrepreneurship? Oh, like, not at all. Yeah, it's not. To be honest, like I think one of the only reasons that I thought, I mean, my dad's a business owner. He's he's done his own, been self-employed. Um, he's kind of in. He's a, a barber. He's owned a few different salons and different things now he just kind of works alone because he realized the whole does he do your hair yeah oh that's good yeah my whole life man yeah he's always cut my hair that's gonna be weird when he can't anymore yeah um i think that kind of gave me some ideas of working for myself but also just being able to kind of have a lot more control over your destiny so Mm -hmm. to speak i mean ultimately um well i think that there are 
I think there's people out there under the guise, especially in education, where they espouse to be yourself and go after things, but in reality, they're dream killers. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, entrepreneurialism is a risk. It's always risky. Yeah. And it's it can be dangerous. It can put you in some really... Uh, down places in life, but it can also put you in some really high places yeah. in life. But it's well, like, it's not safe the to thing be a about business owner. Being young too is you have the ability to bounce back. Exactly. I mean, if you're in your twenties, I mean, if you're under thirty, I mean, and you work to the age of sixty-five, you have a long ways to go. Sure. Like you can make some mistakes, and you're going to be okay. And that's kind of why I referenced earlier, like, I wish I had started earlier whenever yeah. I didn't have a family and a couple kids and didn't have as many bills and things to keep track of. Like, I would have had a lot more options and I could have failed and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal because yeah. it was just me. And I've also, I've, I felt like, too, in my own experience is that as I've taken more risk, I'm more comfortable with risk. So it's For not sure. necessarily something that, hey, they got it. I think it's something that can actually be taught and learned too that hey this is just like anything else the more you do it the better you're going to get at it exactly the, the more mistake the more you're going to learn from your mistakes and you're going to start finding some footing you know well, hopefully you learn from your mistakes you hope <laughs> right yeah and that's and, and the thing is too what i've noticed is that the the availability of resources is huge out there you know for people to even start their own businesses like guidance wise like there's yeah there's a lot of networks out there. You got LinkedIn. You got all these kind of different social platforms. I mean, mm-hmm. YouTube alone. Yeah, I can't there's... imagine how much further I might be now had I had YouTube in like high school. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when YouTube started. I was yeah, you probably I was like in high school, twelve, so. I think. Yeah, when I watched my first like YouTube video. So I graduated in ninety seven, so there yeah. was nothing. Right. We yeah. were barely internet. In sixty four, right? I think maybe by like right then. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like that's absolutely true. I think there's a lot more information about this out there than people realize. But it, like you're saying, like the institutions and stuff that don't really promote that or want people to know that that's a very um considerable path that people should take a look at. You know, Do you think that they uh, that there's a concerted effort to stifle people from starting businesses? Um, I think it depends on where you live. Um, you know, kind of what your local government's like, but I I do think that generally entrepreneurialism and things like that are definitely not promoted. I don't know about stifled. Maybe I haven't experienced that. I a think whole regulation lot. can stifle. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of why I say like it depends on where you yeah. live. Like. In Fort Worth, I feel like it, Texas is pretty pro-business, it is, which yeah. is great. Yeah, we but actively recruit other businesses in other states. Yeah, but then you got places like California, New York, uh, Seattle, mm-hmm. where they're just like, to start a business is like a freaking red tape. Yeah, you got to get a lawyer, got to figure all this stuff out. And so it's like that that bar right there automatically knocks off probably like 80% of people because oh, yeah. they just can't deal with that or don't have the money to deal with that Yeah, or, I think, or the know-how. Yeah, you're gonna it's going to cost you a lot more to start a business in other states. Yeah, sure. in Texas, you can start a business by saying like, I'm going to do this for money and then I'm going to create an LLC. Yeah, and or, you can doing gradually businesses. implement yeah. things. Yeah, that that is. I mean, it's not that easy, but right, it is in some ways. It is in <laughs> yeah. some ways. Yeah. Do you um, do you see business in your business getting uh, easier over time or or harder over, based upon where you're at? Like, what is your long term vision? 
I mean, long term, I definitely would like to continue owning a business. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of business, I mean, business changes, you know that. Like, you kind of have to change. You have to fluctuate. So, you know, in a perfect world, I could get just the kind of jobs that I want and just continue to market and repeat those and then kind of change as the market demands it. But um, I, I think that it, it probably will change over time. I think it's always kind of, it always is changing just based on what you learn and what you know and then what ideas that you have. Um, but it just kind of depends. I mean, you know, long term, I want to have more employees. I want to have more teams, more leaders and build up something that really is a place where people can plug in and learn. I've, I've had an idea for a while now that I want to um, start something. You know, we were talking about the trades. I would really love to almost have kind of like my own trade school. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, not, that's maybe what... not like an institution, sure. but like find people that are hard workers that, um, you know, they don't have to have, they don't, they don't have to know anything, but yeah. if they can work hard and they're teachable, like I would love to train those people yeah. into a fulfilling career in the trades. Absolutely. I mean, we're actually developing that. Yeah. It's going to be launched next year. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And so maybe we can partner on that and talk yeah. about that. But yeah, there's, there's just this disconnect, um, and I have a couple young guys, and it's like they and it wasn't talked about at all growing up in school. And, trades, yeah, trades. Yeah. Um, like you, what are your friends? Do you have friends that are in the trades? Um, I have, yeah, I do. Um, let's see, like right now, I have a friend that he works as a um, commercial dishwashing like service tech. Mm-hmm. So he got goes around and services. There's really a lot of businesses that use this type of stuff that I didn't think about, but like uh, nursing homes, hospitals, yeah. uh, anything restaurants. With a kitchen. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, that's a trade mm-hmm. job, and it's you know worked out pretty well. Um, I have a friend that's a construction manager. He works for a home builder, but I'm trying to think if I have any friends that are like tile installers mm-hmm. or I know some electricians. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some you know HVAC guys. And the thing is, is you you can provide and support a family on in the trades. Oh yeah, you know I don't think people realize like how well you can do as like an electrician yeah. if you work to master or an HVAC guy yeah or even like a tile installer if you know how to market yourself and you're high skill yeah. and you have high attention to well, detail. Well, I do think that through illegal immigration that there is a, a reduction in um, in salary, so to speak. Yeah. For instance, and but uh, my shift on that has changed. My mindset on that has changed as well because. I grew up in Southern California, and I got into the trades right out of high school. Yeah, and I saw a progression of as more legal immigration came in, the wages were suppressed more and more. Yeah, uh, because it was cheaper labor, uh, and and I knew Hispanic guys. I was friends with them, and there could be twenty. Well, oftentimes, what happens is like you'll have like twenty, thirty guys living in bunk beds, sharing a place, and so their rent is like a hundred bucks. So they don't have to make as much, right? Yeah, they're getting paid under the table. Not. All this stuff. So there was a reduction in wages. And I was, for a long time, I was like, this is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Um, but now I've shifted my idea on that. For one, I think that the whole border thing is a complete catastrophe. And I'm right. not opposed to bring people in. I think we should. I just think that it should be done in the proper channels. And I don't think it necessarily we have to get all high labor. Sure. Yeah. It's I think that we can get just labor, and that's fine. I think people, if I lived in Mexico, I would try to get to the U.S. Yeah. That would be my well, mindset. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. Right. So, but now my mindset shift, shifted on that. It's like, well, if none of these kids in America 
are coming out of school wanting to do anything and they like turn their nose up on hard work. Yeah, let's bring in people who want to do the hard work then. Yeah, I mean, there would be a lot of stuff that has not been created if it wasn't for a lot of these guys that come up from, you know, Mexico and oh, yeah. like there's some hard like phenomenal yeah, yeah artists artisans yeah. too like in tile and, yeah i sure. mean there's plenty of bad ones too but that's that's with anything like that's with know. every everything yeah. yeah i've seen i think it's even though that is definitely like an issue and i think that's kind of creeping in i think there's still a lot of work out there and there's still a very um blue ocean for people that want to get into trades Absolutely. right now like a lot of the a lot of the americans that have been in trades are getting old and they're getting out of it just because either for sure i say up. that all the time um but there's about to be a big problem there's about to be a big shortage of a lot of trades and even though like you definitely have those people that will hire like the bottom dollar lowest bid uh right cheap labor. and you don't want to work for those people exactly anyway. like yeah. that's not my client i yeah. figured that out pretty quickly it's like you know, you price a job at what makes sense for you and your business. And if they say no, that's good. Yeah. Because like, you don't want that job. You don't want every job. Like when no. I first started out, I was taking everything. Sure. You kind of have to. You kind of have to for the first two, three months, but you have to pivot quickly. Yeah. And you have to say, okay, I'm not doing that. I've raised my prices. And, you know, I've gone and I've tell my customers, I'm just honest. No, we've raised our co- prices. Sure. That. And they're like, well, and I've had some customers like, well, I can't afford that. And I'm like, okay, especially That's investors, cool. because investors are like yeah, always looking for the like numbers. the bottom yeah. dollar. Right. And they have to do a little bit more legwork, but they're fine with that. And I'm fine with that, too. Um, we move on. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you have to you have to transition. Right. You can't just stay in the same spot forever. Right. Yeah. And so what is your transition looking like in your business? Like, are there certain things that you're looking to implement um, over the next year that would make things more efficient, uh, more uh, areas to capitalize on? Mm-hmm. Um, I know you and I were talking um, at lunch and you were saying that like you don't market at all. It's yeah. everything's through word of mouth, which is awesome. Uh, but then, you know, I had countered that said, well, do you think that is necessarily to do a little bit just to get your name out there? It definitely is. And I mean, I, I guess I said I don't market at all. I do have a website. Okay. I do have like Instagram and Facebook. And since I do have and that... And do you post pictures of jobs? I haven't been lately. You know, for a while, I was pretty consistent. I would post things. I'd make videos. And did you find that you were getting jobs based on that consistency versus now? Um, It's hard to say. I, I mean, I, most of my jobs still do come from word of mouth referral. However... Uh, I would say that the biggest amount of like internet type lead traffic I've gotten has been from my website and just appearing in the Google local or Google search results page, just because I know how to build a website to where when people, you know, like if somebody types Carpenter Fort Worth, like I'm at the top. Right. And that's, I mean, that's pretty, I I would say probably over a thousand So you're great with the SEO services and all that. I mean, yeah, Yeah. I'm kind of like a little bit out of touch, a little dusty, but like a lot of that stuff kind of stays. It transitions. Yeah. Where... Let's get into that because there's a lot of contractors. There's a lot of people in the trades, guys in the truck and yeah. have tools. And it's not that their skills aren't good. They're they're great at what they do. And they just find jobs here and there just to make a living. But they could actually capitalize and become a lot more efficient just even on some basic marketing skills. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had thought about starting a marketing company for trade construction guys. What, what made you decide not to do that? Or are you still thinking about doing that? 
I mean, I, I always, you know, on Twitter, sure. you're always thinking of like all yeah. these different rabbit. Yeah, I'd have a hundred businesses yeah. if I could find a right. hundred me's, right? I mean, from what I've seen, I don't think, you know, you mentioned this and you said a lot of like trade or construction guys are kind of short term sighted. Like they're, they're looking at like, I'm on this job. What's my next job? Like in a week going to be like, they're not thinking, am I going to have work for like a year? Am I gonna have? Am I gonna have some jobs in the holiday time when mm-hmm. things get slow? They're just kind of picking up what they can. As they, they live go. paycheck to paycheck and just a different mindset. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. they're just kind of job to job. Yeah. And so, if you come in and you're like, "Hey, you could pay me five hundred dollars. I'll build you a website, and I'll, I'll make sure you have some good pictures on there. I'll have to come by and take the pictures. You know, whatever. Like that five hundred dollars could be like a, a week of maybe not a week of pay, but like a good chunk of money. And they don't right. really realize like the long-term value of that. Exactly. They're, they're thinking like, unless you can get me a, a $5,000 job for that amount of money or a couple of those in the next few Which months, you can't, you can't. Yeah. It just doesn't work like that. I mean, it could, but it's very unlikely. Yeah. So they don't, they don't see like the value, the long-term value. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just kind of thought that it would be difficult to get, that level of trade worker to sign up for those. I think you really, you have to sell the idea and that's hard to do. It's hard to sell the idea, especially like you said, there's a lot of contractors and trade guys who are in that retirement age. Yeah. I think here, they don't want to falls. I think, (laughs) I think I read that it's like over 65% or in late fifties, early sixties. So in the next 10 years, you're going to have a huge, you know, I think that there will be some, that vacuum will create, people who go into that space but then you're going to have a lot of unskilled going into that space right yeah and i think that one thing i've kind of noticed is that i feel like guys like myself that have have had a lot of well-rounded experience they're like like knows how to kind of do the whole project are going to become very valuable because those people are a lot harder to find yes know how to do like everything they're not just one trade yeah. yeah, and so I still think you could be wildly successful off of pretty much any trade business if you're a hard worker mm-hmm. and you know how to market yourself in, yeah. in this, especially... Like Even a, if you worked for somebody else and you're a hard worker, you'll you'll advance. Of course, because you, you're, it's very you're, hard to find Yeah, because your your skills are going to be in demand, and yeah. if somebody does not value that, then somebody else the will. market is going to be like... Hey, I need you. Yeah. I'll pay you more. And it that creates an opportunity for either the guy who is employing you now to say, Hey, you know, I recognize this. I'm gonna bump you up, or then that guy just moves on, or girl. Um so do you um do you have you raised your prices? I, have you in the three years? Have you uh, because with inflation coming in, material costs, all these things, have you increased your your rates? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say it's gone like astronomically high or anything, but you know, when we started, usually how I would kind of calculate things is kind of off of a day rate for like me and my, my partner. It's just how we would bid labor. Uh, There's a lot of different ways you can do it, but I definitely charge more right now than I did uh, three years ago. And I think a lot of that is just learning that like <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of that is just learning that, like the quality of work that I've been doing, and I really try to do pretty high end stuff, high quality. Like it, it's worth a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Like you have to pay a lot to get that. And I just realized I wasn't charging enough because right. it would take too long to do stuff. And I'd come up and it's like customer got a great finished product and I like barely got out of the job on a profit right. because I didn't bid it high enough. So yeah, I definitely have raised my prices over time. Some of that's just due to experience and then some of that's just due to the quality of work that I've been trying to provide. Yeah, I think also that the um, one of the things I've noticed is a couple things. As I've gotten bigger and hired more employees, uh, expanded our services, fine honed our services as well, um, and raised prices, like you do lose people. You sure. lose a certain clientele because they're always looking for that bottom dial. Oh, dollar. yeah. And like I say, I tell people all this all the time, you can't be cheap no. and picky. No. It's one or the other, right? Yeah, absolutely. And every contractor knows that. Um, and every person should know that. But So you can't be cheap and you can't be picky. But what is interesting in my space is as I have employees, I'm starting to offer insurance. And so there's this ideal out there in in the world that, hey, you should be you know, everybody should be treated fairly, your employees, you know, you should provide this and this if you're a good employer. It's like, okay, I want to do that. That costs money. That's why you're being charged this. But then when you show that to them, they're like, well, that's awfully expensive. And there's this disconnect in the mindset of a customer that on one hand, they want, they want employees to be treated fairly, but they don't understand the cost of that to occur. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really true. Um, especially the more overhead you have, the more you have to charge. Yeah, you know, that's why you see like these. Well, your margins. The the it's like it's I make the it's it's the Walmart yeah. analogy, right? You're you're doing volume. And yeah, your profit your margins, margins are thinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, it's real easy, and I mean, I do this myself. Like when I get a bill and I look at it. It's hard not to feel like that money goes all to this guy that I'm. That's my connection. They're yeah. like, "Oh, Jeremy's going to get it. five thousand dollars for this." Like yeah. that seems kind of high. He's only been here like twice and, yeah. t- and like did an estimate for me. But if I like- can, if, if, <laughs> hold on. If you can get me jobs that I get five thousand dollars and I can get an estimate, give you an estimate. Just let me know. I don't know, man. That's kind of I'll a do that for business you. plan. I have. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm ready to if to let that out. I could multiply the heck out of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's. The cost of doing business is a lot, Mm -hmm. especially if you have employees. And like, you know, you mentioned benefits. Like when you start adding stuff like that, like if you're not charging enough, like you'll go out of business in a week. I mean, you just can't operate. And, you know, sometimes people understand that. Sometimes they don't. But well, it's just interesting to me that from the customer's perspective, like they don't make the connection. I think that's how it is in our world a lot is like people don't. They don't ask the right questions to get the right answers. Like they just throw comments and throw ideologies out there. It's like, okay, let's back up and go to the genesis of this idea and how you got to this because there's there's a lack of reality there. Yeah. Like you can't be a social justice warrior and say, Hey, fair wage, fair wage and all this and then not expect at in the return that well to, to pay market to pay price market prices. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's just not gonna happen. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of independent contractors out there who have no insurance, right? They're doing a hot a, a very Yeah. Well, it's not the most dangerous job, but they're doing a dangerous job because they're using power tools, they're all, always sure. on ladders and all these things. If it's got plumbing, it can be dangerous or electrical. Sure. I mean, yeah. Or anything, anything with yeah. a saw, yeah. right? Or a power tool. Yeah. Or a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, I just watched a video in one of the OSHA classes I had to take for um, just recertification and things like that. And ladder accidents happen mostly on a high percentage of people who are experienced on ladders because they get over comfortable with them. Yeah, and then they just make a mistake or something happens. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Accident. Um, So it's interesting. So... Are you th- you you mentioned going into uh, getting more employees and getting bigger? Do you have a lot of strategy? Do you and when you look at this, do you write out a strategy? Do you just have something in your mind? Do you consult with people to have a strategy? What is your implementation in that? I mean, I'm a big verbal processor, so I, sometimes I'll talk to people, but I I don't have a lot of buddies that to talk through stuff like that with, but. Um, and honestly, I probably should write a lot more stuff down because I feel like I, I would have a lot easier time remembering. Mm-hmm. But I think just kind of looking at the strategy to, to get to where I want to be in you know in five years is I'm really going to have to kind of narrow down something specific and then just aggressively market that and focus on that niche. Yeah. Um, That's a hard thing to do. It, it is, yeah. And sometimes, you know, just the way construction is or just self-employment is you know you you kind of have to take what you can get sometimes like if you can't get a bathroom remodel which is really all you want to do but you have a garage project that comes up and they're like hey we want to do a little remodel and you don't have any other work you got to do a garage remodel yeah or you can just not eat and not pay your bills sure so it's a pretty easy decision but i do think that there's a lot of value in repeatable processes and systems and so if you can kind of get to a well scalable scalable yeah you can scale it and you get better at it over time and you can really just when you can become a, like an expert in something a lot of things just go better you make less mistakes your bids are tighter you know when you estimate things like you're just right more often it's just when you do custom stuff or different things every time it's just really hard to get good at that cuz you're yeah. always kind of being spread in a different direction and it just it just makes you make errors what concerns you the most um, what like keeps you up at night uh, <laughs> in owning a business? Um, I would say just like because you're uh, you're you're the sole breadwinner of your family. sure yeah, and so you got a wife, got a couple kids. I mean, as a person, I mean, there's pressure there, right? Yeah, there's a lot of pressure, and you know, like you were saying earlier, when when you take risks and you come out in the end, you may be a little battered and bruised but you realize you're still okay and like you can kind of build back up and take another one it gets a little less scary and in some ways you kind of like look forward to the challenge Mm -hmm. but as far as like what keeps me up at night I think that um just running out of work like not having a job you know is one thing just because what do you get more employees then that pressure really yeah and that's kind of what i was then you have other families depending i was joking about earlier is like you know the guy that some of the guys that have worked for me one of them worked for me for probably about a year and a half or two um which was really helpful and he was a hard worker but i'm really glad i don't have to worry about making sure he gets enough hours now Mm -hmm. just because that's that's a whole different kind of stress that you don't really think about. And you're like, man, I'd love to be the boss. That'd be cool just to kind of stop at the jobs mm-hmm. and check up and not actually have to do, you know, the manual uh, labor. Part. Yeah. Manual labor part. But it, it's, it's almost worse having that yeah. pressure on your shoulder because that's really people's livelihoods. And if you, if your business dries up, like so does their income and you, they have to go work somewhere. So sure. you lose them. But 
yeah, work drying up is probably one thing. And then, uh, I mean, I care a lot about the work that I do. I care a lot about how it affects the clients that I work for. And so, you know, when they're unhappy or, or possibly like don't like work that we do, like for some reason that bothers me a lot, but I've kind of learned to realize you can't make everybody happy and you can only do the best that you can do. But that kind of stuff sometimes, you know, keeps me up at night, but not as much as the running out of work thing. And do you, do you, when you first start a business, you just have so much energy and you're just like gung ho, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this work. Yeah. Do you find that that energy level decreases over time? Oh, absolutely. How do you keep um, your energy up to just like keep trudging through? Um, I think one thing is rock stars. <laughs> yeah. No, no energy drinks. I mean, I, I think, I, I think learning is a big thing. I think listening to material that is, helping you to kind of like think on the positive of like growth and building like your, your skill mindset is really helpful. I I know that whenever I spend more time like worrying or thinking about, um, business versus trying to like learn and get better at it, I'm like more scared if that makes sense. So like when I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and listening or reading a book, hearing other people's struggles is encouraging because it's like, all right, I'm not alone out there. Yeah. When you hear this thing, it's like, okay, so there's lots of other people that are going through this. They're still making it. They're still making it work. Um, you know, sometimes you learn things that prevent you from getting into a lot of trouble just by, I think being willing to learn, is one way that you can really help keep your mindset positive. You know, as far as the energy thing, I think a lot of people, when they start something, it's like exciting, it's mm-hmm. new, it's fresh, and then it just turns into work, you know? <laughs> but that's, I think that's really where the rubber kind of reaches them. <laughs> it's so funny you say that. I mean, I laugh because it's like, it's such a simple say, but it's so true. Yeah, like everything's you just get, fun when you first start it. Everything yeah. is. Yeah, and it's like, I remember when I first started construction, like, I was genuinely, like, excited. Yeah, to start day, like, I'm going to conquer the world. I would, like, think about it the night before and think about how I was going to cut all this stuff and, like, yeah. how I was going to build it. And I was, But now it's kind of like... I got to cut all this stuff. I almost kind of get a little anxiety the night sure. before, like, oh, I got to go get 100 two-by-fours and, yeah. like, load those in my truck. Like, you know, or if it's a fence, like, it's yeah. going to be 100 tomorrow. And, you know, I got to carry all those materials, but there's no job out there that's not like that. I'm sure you've learned that any job you ever had. Well, I haven't run across it if there is. (laughs) Yeah. If there, if there's a job out there that's constantly exciting and never turns into work, I would love to do that. Well, I was listening to, I follow a cleared hot podcast with Andy Stumpf and he's a former Navy SEAL Mm -hmm. and he did. Uh, he trained skydiving and stuff like that. Nice. And he was one of the first, like, once he had some records for base jumping and for the wingsuits. Oh, okay. So, and he was saying he has, like, over 3,500 or something ridiculous jumps of an airplane. And he's like, it becomes a job. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mean, here's a guy who's jumping out of airplanes for a job, and he's, I mean, what a blast, right? And he's like, it becomes less of a blast. Yeah, I mean, I think that, just from the perspective of, of like you know self development, I think you really have to learn as a man or just anybody that you have to be able to push through hard things to get good results. Yeah, that's just a fact. If you don't want to do hard things, you're not going to be successful. That's that's just all there is to it. Such a great. If you think that you can, that should be your quote. have a job 
that is always fun and mm-hmm. fulfilling, you're lying to yourself. It's just yeah. not reality. Like, it's not. It's just the way it goes. You yeah. know, God didn't set life up to be easy. Right. Um, and business is not easy, but there's always kind of little sprinkles and little tidbits of joy and encouragement along the way. Um, you know, it's not always pain and suffering and hardship. It's, mm-hmm. you know, some of those things can look different for other people, but like for me, it's like, you know, you have an eight month project. It's really stressful. Like when you finish that and, and you're free to move on to the next one, like that's an accomplishing feeling. Yeah. You look at all, all the time you put in and you know, the, the clients love it. it or it's like, well, you know, I worked my guts out last week, but I'm taking Monday off because I'm the boss and I can. I'm going to go to the zoo with my family. That's and awesome it's like all my too. friends are at work. Yeah. And I'm at the zoo with my family. That's when you're like, okay, like and this, you, this and, is this is the reward for the hard and work you and have sacrifice. to do that. You have to. You have to make time to do that. And yeah. a lot of people and I've met I've met I've met business owners on the other end where like they take no time off ever. Yeah. And it's, it's like not a good recipe. you're going to no, you're going to get burnt out yeah. and you're going to start, you know, then you start avoiding your work. You start making mistakes. Mm-hmm. You start getting resentful. Yeah. Then you. Yeah. Then. then and then that uh, resentment shows to your customers. You're like, yeah. You have no idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And I think you, you definitely have to take time to rest and recharge. Mm-hmm. But you know, you you work way more than you rest. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the reality. That is reality. You got to. But yeah, you you really have to do. You really have to be willing to push through hard things. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, it's every job I've ever had, it always turns out that like after a certain amount of time or there's just tasks about it you hate and you just got to, you know, put your nose to the stone and grind it out and yeah. just get it over with and move on. So you mentioned your dad was an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. Well, you said he did a couple of shops, so he did have employees at one time. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a weird industry, honestly, the whole like. Uh, artistic hairstyling like yeah i've a lot I've, of those it's always fascinated me when i go get like my haircut at like sports clips or something like that <laughs> yeah. i'm like you know because they do they do okay as individuals and i'm not yeah exactly, you know especially on tips i mean i would imagine that tips are the bread and butter in in, in that service sector i mean sort of like I, he definitely does get tips and especially like it's kind of cool i remember growing up like at christmas time and stuff like all these people would bring him like random uh chocolate yeah Brett, you know, whatever, like holiday type treats. Yeah. That was kind of cool. But yeah, and I'm sure, you know, he does get tips and things. But, um, you know, my dad, like he, he's always been self-employed from the beginning. Um, and he has owned and partnered um, with a few like larger salons where there's like several employees, hairstylists, whatever you want to call them, working under him. And, um, you know, that industry, just a lot of people that are artistic, they're naturally, a lot of them are just kind of flaky and kind of like pretty, like they move around a lot. Yeah. And so it's hard to like keep a business like that, like stable. Uh, so I think that's part of the reason he kind of got out of like doing the bigger shop thing. But does he just have his own shop? Yeah. Now? Like right now he works alone and he has for a while. Just, he's just keeping it simple. Now, I don't know if his, if his dream or vision I think it may have been to kind of build it up to where he could just manage and not actually have to to do. You ever talk to him about it? A little bit, but I think that just kind of some of those things that that came up and just managing those different uh, like larger businesses and dealing with the people, he just kind of realized for himself like I'd rather just work alone and I, I'm okay with. Just I, I mean, to be I don't the know guy. what it is. I think that would. 
I mean, there's recession-proof businesses. I mean, everybody's always going to get their hair cut. Yeah, I mean, he picked a great field to never run out of work. Now, and not just he that. He had to build his clients up, but once you yeah. do that, like he's had some of the same clients for forever. Well, like, and not just that, but it's like getting a haircut is not going... I don't care what income bracket you're in. You're yeah. not pricing yourself out of anything. No, and I think he was pretty wise to pick something like that. You know, it's kind of like also a medical field. People are always going to be getting hurt and getting older and needing help. Well, people, food. there's people buildings that are always going to be needing work. Yeah, exactly. I it's think just construction the, the pool, is, you know. Yeah, I think construction, especially like remodel and repair mm-hmm. work, new construction fluctuates way more. Yeah. Kind of more with the economy, but... Um, yeah, I, I new construction, I we don't do it, but I mean... Yeah, it would he, be. I did it when I worked for other people, and it's a feast or famine. Yeah, and he, you know, he makes good money. Mm-hmm. Like, and especially, you know, as you grow your skill and craft over time, like you can charge a lot. And if people don't want to pay it, they're probably not your client. You know, yeah. he has plenty of clients. So, but I do think that does I'm he do sh- women and yeah, women men? and men. Yeah, um, I do think that he he probably wishes sometimes that he didn't have like in his business. Like, you know, we've talked about this. Like. If you create a job or like self-employed, like solo, like once you stop working, you're done. Right. But like he, I don't know if he ever had the vision to create like a big salon network and sell it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I just don't know if that was ever his vision. I've never really talked about it, to be honest. But I don't think so from what we have talked about. Um, but, you know, I know for myself, I don't want to get to that point to where it's like, you know, I'm 60 or whatever. And it's like, if I'm not there working... Like I can't make any money that day. Yeah, I remember I my dad owned way. a door business in Southern California, and he had a good oh, yeah. name, and he was doing really well, and he made good money. And I, I remember coming out of high school, I was like, well, let's do this. Let's make this into something big. And he was real hesitant. He didn't want to do that. Yeah. And I was like, but then you know he becomes 60, and I don't think he had the foresight to think, and I don't know if that's what he really wanted to do because he dabbled, he went with ministry as well. Sure. And so I think he was like, uh, well, I'm making great money. And he didn't have the foresight to say, well, what? Do you, how are you going to sell that? You can't. You can't just sell, you know, a truck and some tools. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. you got to, you have to have, you have to build a business to sell a business. Right. And so I, I remember having that conversation with him, like, I think I was like 21, 22. And I was like, well, you know, I'll come work for you. You know, we'll build this thing up next 15, 20 years, then we can sell this thing, you know, or, you know, but he, he was, he was not, um, he, he didn't want to do that. And I was like, all right, whatever, moving on. But (laughs) I just look back at that and I think I see a lot of people do that when you're young, you're, you have this mindset of mindset of invincibility. Right. And then you get, then you have a, then you get married, then you have kids and then life takes a hold. And then you lose sight of a big picture, like what am I going to do at this point? And I don't think people stop and ever think what I'm going to, what am I going to do? Yeah, I don't even know if if like your dad or my dad said when they were 25, like man, I can't wait to work till I'm 69, sure, eight to five, you know, and like be dead tired. I don't know if they ever even thought about it. Yeah, and I mean, I I I struggle with forgetting about that, like the long term, like in 30 years. Am I setting myself up to like still be the guy that has to like frame up a wall? 
or like, am I going to have somebody? Like, and I don't think do there's that. anything. I I mean, nothing it's just, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. Absolutely, with that. and that's I, just a different path. It is just there's a different path. Wrong and you it. can provide yourself a living all the way up. To yeah, that you point. can make great money. And if you if you play your cards right, you can. And if retire you invest, with a ton of money. I mean, you do have to yeah, invest. You know, for sure. Um, you can't just make money and just put it in. But you have to invest for that long term. I wish I would have invested sooner. So, yeah. do you go into that like when you set up your structure? And this is stuff I learned late. When you set up the business structure, do you like allocate percentages towards certain things or does it just go into one big pot? Um, I've done some of that. You know, it kind of just depends on how how busy or how, how much stuff I have going on. I think, you know, as of recently, I was kind of midway through this big job and I lost my last employee and that kind of turned me upside down to where I was in kind of just, I got to finish this project mode. Um, but I, I have had like where I, you know, it's like when money comes in, this percentage stays in the business, like this percentage put away for taxes or whatever, or just emergency and then, you know, pay, paycheck yeah. for me, whatever. Um, but those are, those are things that I, I really feel like I need to do a lot better at mm-hmm. just like getting organized, more systematized and then just doing it every day. Yeah. You know, because those are the types it. of things that make business successful over time the and small details. Yeah, and it's really easy to overlook that. And the more, I mean, you know, I've only been in this business for three years, so I'm still kind of a neophyte. But um, I realize that, like, business in a lot of ways is just making sure that, like, you have a process and tasks that you stay disciplined at that over time translate to, like, successful uh, successful processes. Like, if you if you start a little bit and you start just doing one thing and you just keep doing it, you know, like you, like mm-hmm. you've talked to me, like in a year, a lot of stuff will, a lot of good will come from that. Yeah. But small and incremental changes over a long period of time. Yeah. And it's just hard to do that in the, in the day to day, you know, yeah. it's hard. Like when you're the guy that's kind of running everything, when you have to do everything, it's easy to forget about yeah. that. And I, I think that's kind of the whole like entrepreneurial struggle is learning how to and some of it depends on you know some people are operators and some people are like more visionary where it's like they have like a hundred amazing business ideas they just Mm -hmm. need like a operator to help them actually like start and execute all that Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like I'm somewhere in between you know like I don't I'm not the guy that sits there and dreams about like a hundred businesses but I do have a lot of ideas and I'm pretty good at starting things but I have a harder time executing sure. and operating and kind of making systems to like keep that or grow it or scale it. But that's kind of the whole struggle is figuring out like, and I, I think that's a universal struggle for sure. Yeah. I mean, you really have to self assess as an entrepreneur and being like, I am not good at this. So I'm going to pay somebody else that is good at it. I to had do to it. do that. There's so many things I'm that still I learned, learning. Like, yeah. that. It's, it's a hard kind of like, it feels a lot of times like it's like I can't afford to pay this person to do that. But what you realize is, is if you I can't afford the, not to pay this exactly, person if you give it up and you like accounting. Here's just a quick example. Accounting for me was like I had a QuickBooks. I didn't really keep track of it. I had no clue how to set it up. I don't have any accounting experience. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even take an accounting class like in, in college. You know, um, and I didn't finish college. I'm not. I'm not like one of those get a degree get a Right. A big job type guys. I kind of had my own path, but, um, I had a guy that was a real experienced accountant, good friend of mine. He came in 
and spent, I don't know, like a few hours and like had all this stuff organized and set up and like the amount that that's helped me yeah, is like crazy. And I'm just like, there's probably a lot of other little things hats like that. that I wear where yeah. I could pay somebody, you know, a few hundred dollars to just handle it and they would do a better job and it would allow me to be more successful at what I am good at. What the, the thing that helped me the most and I started doing it about five years ago, um, is making lists. Yeah. I I tell, and I get all my guys all the time. I said, do you have a notes app on your phone? Yeah. Yes. I, I, I said, do you use it? No. And I'm getting them in two of my guys. They like the old notebooks. I, yeah, I don't care. Just that's fine. Whatever. But take notes right and so every day i'll make a list and maybe not every day maybe like once if i if i sit down and i give myself a half hour to go through my thoughts i'll make a list that'll last like three days i say this is the stuff i gotta knock out in the next three days and what i'll do is i'll type it out and i'll just once i accomplish it i'll put an x next to it move on to the next one so on and so forth and that has brought me so much clarity okay i gotta start crossing this stuff off the list yeah because it just frees up so much space and granted, I'm really busy and I have a lot of irons in the fire, so my list never seems to diminish in yeah, a lot of ways. Of course but not. it doesn't mean that I'm not getting stuff done. Yeah. Have you ever read a book called Getting Things Done? I, I saw it. it. Yeah. I, I have heard of it. Yeah. I haven't read it. Have I, you read it? I have, yeah. Um, it's been a while, so I'm kind of like... So he probably makes that case for making lists. Absolutely. That's like one of the first things that you do when you have a lot of stuff to accomplish is you write it down. Yeah. And then that... There's something like there's a I don't remember what he calls it, but in the in the book he's talking about I think it's a he, I can't remember. The author is talking about how one of the biggest problems with not writing things down and making lists is your brain is always trying to keep track of those tasks as a whole. So it pulls you away from like your productivity to get stuff done and to take on new tasks. You're always distracted. So yeah. I know for me, like what, sometimes I'll open a Word doc and I'll just, I call it a brain dump. Yeah. And I basically like, if I have a million things going on in my head, which I'm sure you can relate to, sure. I literally just start writing it down bullet point by bullet point. And it's oh, like, I do the same if thing. you give that thing a place to live on paper, yeah. there's something that goes on in your brain that's like, okay, I don't have to remember that because I've written it down. Like, reminders on my phone is another huge thing i haven't implemented that i've oh, tried man. it and it never works as soon as i have a task i'll just say hey siri remind me to do this at this time and i'll tell you what like i feel like my productivity has grown 50 i need to probably just that because it's like it's digital all you have to do is say it right yeah. there and then it reminds you sure and so you just can't forget about it because it just comes up but that kind of stuff is really helpful but it's still easy to forget about and do daily because yeah, it's a daily discipline. It's interesting that you say that. Like, I think what also making list does is it makes you more productive even in your head space because yeah. you've gotten that thought out of your head and now that it's like, it's weird to think, but like there's more, now there's room again for a new thought. Yeah. And there's, there's like a term for that. I forget yeah. what he calls it. Are you familiar with Carolyn Leaf? Uh-uh. Oh, you should get, she's get into that. Oh yeah. She's okay. amazing. Um, but the, uh, what I I mean I have six hundred notes 
right now. And so, like, I'll, I'll go through. Well, I use it for everything. Like, sure, yeah. I, I do it for estimates. I can attach yeah. pictures of yeah, the estimates. Uh, I can put it in a file, and then I can share it with my guys and say, okay, this is it. I actually have that estimate here. Boom, boom, boom. There's pictures. And you're talking about, like, the iPhone Notes app, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's better Notes apps out there. Sure, yeah. You know? And actually, what's funny is I actually <laughs> I have a note in my notes about watching a YouTube video on the Notes app, and I still haven't watched it. <laughs> That's funny. It's like five minutes, right? Yeah. Because it says one of the there's a couple YouTube videos on how to get the max value out of your Notes app, which I should read or I should watch. But yeah. it's amazing because, I mean, I make all these lists. I do estimates on there. I'll type up stuff. Hey, I'll even make lists for my guys like I did this morning. Hey, this is what I need you to get done today. Mm-hmm. These I'm I'm offloading some of my lists. Right. You know, which is helpful. Yeah. You know, I can cross those off even though it's on my list. I've delegated that. This is I need this done, right? And so it's really I can't believe how how much that's changed for me. And my productivity in the last 3 years is like 1000% Oh yeah, that's probably an. People would say that's an exaggeration. It's probably actually an under exaggeration, if that's even a word. Yeah, I I think it is. Yeah, but but I'm not a word. It's guy, probably so. over a thousand percent <laughs> yeah. of more productivity. I mean, there's just, just crossing stuff off, filling up the list again, making a new list, crossing stuff off, and just what it does is just orients my mind to constantly in this mode of getting things done. Right. That's something that, you know, personally, I feel like I'm always having to work on. I think I just get distracted easily. I've always been that way. And especially with, you know, smartphones and stuff Mm -hmm. now and all the apps and notifications, it's so easy just to get like, you're thinking about work and you're dialed in and then like you get a text and just like pulls your thoughts over there. But writing stuff down and making lists, even it's, it's kind of archaic. I mean, it's very simple making a list but it's super powerful yeah one of the thing i'm working on now that i'm gonna offload is i'm hiring an office worker to take calls transfer my number and stuff like that it's on my list yeah i get over i get between 100 150 calls a day are you serious no i'm not wow i am serious yeah 100 that's crazy that's a lot yeah yeah that's a lot I don't know if I want that many phone calls. Well, I don't either. That's why I'm looking yeah. to hire somebody. You should definitely hire somebody for and, that. And you know that and then probably 15 20 texts. Yeah. That's great. And then I would say 30 to 40 emails. Yeah. That's a lot of calls. It's a lot yeah. of calls. That's good though. Well, you know, you got seven yeah, employees. Assuming those are from like oh, uh, no, so they're not all internal, not like new, It's new not leads. all. Oh, I mean, okay. no, this is total calls, right? I got gotcha. you. But even then, still, yeah. If I could reduce lot. that to, if I could take, like, offload the business aspect of seventy-five calls or eighty calls, sure, that's huge. Frees you up to do other income generating activities. That's right. Yeah. So we like that word. Um. So here you are. Um. Three years in, what do you anticipate for the next year? Um. I'm pretty encouraged. I, I feel like I'm kind of at a point where I'm just now starting to really um things kind of are coming more full circle and i'm less less concerned about making it and more more about like okay now's the time where i feel like i can kind of hone in on something and i have a lot of experience i've done a lot of stuff wrong probably 
will continue to do that and learn more. I promise you, forever, you will yeah. continue to do stuff wrong. Um, but I, I do feel like I'm kind of at a at a transition point where, you know, the next year I think will be filled with a lot of successes, mm-hmm. Lord willing, you know. But uh, I feel like there's just some pretty good irons in the fire, and I think that I'm starting to kind of come into and understand like what I need to do a little bit better versus just learning and taking what jobs I could get and kind of trying a little of this, trying a little of that to more like, okay, you know, I know how to do pretty much all the trades and manage a full project, like on a remodel, you know, do I want to take one of those trades and build a business off that? Or do I want to continue doing remodels and just kind of condense the scope of them and just hammer out smaller jobs I just feel kind of like I have some decisions to make, but I feel pretty confident that, you know, moving forward, I think that this next year is going to be better than last year, just in the sense of, um, you know, the more experience you get, usually the better things are obviously for sure. But the, the more experience you experience, you are usually, that means the jobs you're doing like have higher risk. So, you know, mistakes could hurt worse, but hopefully you're making fewer of them. Yeah. So I think I see a lot of, of growth in the next year and just kind of, I think it'll be a year of kind of, of honing in kind of like messaging and figuring out what I really want to focus on instead of being a little bit more wide with my net. I think I'm going to be able to kind of target a few things more closely, which I think will be really helpful and just improving processes Mm -hmm. and improving just kind of how I get stuff done rather than kind of feeling like I'm just spread out across a lot of different things. So two questions back to back. Um, What external concerns do you have outside of your business that would affect your business? And what internal concerns do you have that will affect your business over the next year? External concerns, I, you know, obviously just like things that are going on uh, with the government and just kind of the culture. Um, things are in a lot of turmoil right now. I feel like the the economy, especially in Texas, it's good, but I also can see it like blowing up and then possibly work kind of drying up. Um, but I'm not sure. It's just kind of an uncertain. I mean... You know, the whole COVID thing, I don't know if that's going to kind of die or if that's going to be perpetual. something that we're dealing with. Like, it's just the new normal. I hope not. Um, but I don't know how. It, I don't know how they can, they would be able to keep people in this new normal forever. I mean, it would be so unproductive. I have no idea. I, I hope not because... How would you, How would our country ever be profitable in GDP long term? I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that's some of the externals are just kind of unknown, but that whole like realm of like what's going on in the world, um, you know, the pandemic, which we won't get into that, nope. but I kind of, kind of think it's ridiculous anyways, but, um, yeah, other external things, just, you know, what is, what is the market going to want or is the is the thing I choose to focus in on like is there going to be a lot of demand for that? I hopefully hopefully I make the right call there. Mm-hmm. You know, might not, might have to pivot. We'll see. Internal, um, I think just processes and just kind of some of those more daily disciplines are things that I just really need to focus on to kind of build up and scale. And I, I really do want to get back on the path of 
hiring and delegating more and, and using people to not using people. That sounds really messed up, but you know what I mean? Having, having other people come in that can well, team with utilizing. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Utilizing their skills and abilities in order to, to make something great. I yeah. mean, it's just, you can't do business alone. Yeah. That's just the reality. You got to have a team. You can't with a vision long term. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate coming on Cameron. Yeah. I think we uh, touched really on some it. great subjects and just helping people, uh, new business owners and and whatnot, guys in the trades like us, uh, just gives them some perspective. So I appreciate you coming on. We'll have you on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really thanks. enjoyed it. I appreciate. It. Yeah. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. When I'm driving in my Lincoln, the stress seems to disappear into thin air, kind of like a french fry on the beach. Come on, really? I was eating that. Experience the power of sanctuary. Test drive a vehicle designed with your well-being in mind at Lincoln.com. And just in case you didn't get that, it's L-I-N-C-O-L-N.com. Hola, welcome to Daily Café, un podcast diario en donde hablaremos de los últimos acontecimientos en USA and around the world. Also, we'll talk about business news, leadership, motivation y por supuesto, lo último de la industria del podcast. Tómate un café conmigo and enjoy las noticias y artículos I will bring for you. Hoy en Daily Café. Subvirtiendo la justicia, el panel del Senado detalla la campaña de presión de Trump en el Departamento de Justicia para anular las elecciones. Y Pfizer seeks FDA authorization of COVID-19 vaccine for children aged 5 to 11. Jueves 7 de octubre. Esto es Daily Café. Senate panel details Trump pressure campaign at DOG to overturn election. On the very day that Attorney General William Barr left office in late December, then-President Donald Trump and top White House aides began a relentless pressure campaign into intern Justice Department leaders, including acting Attorney General Jeff Rosen, to overturn the election of 2020 elections, according to a new Senate committee report. El esfuerzo incluyó nueve llamadas y reuniones con Rosen y el subprocurador general interino Richard Dunn 
contactos que incluyeron un acercamiento casi diario al departamento, encontró una investigación del Comité Judicial del Senado. El impulso de la Casa Blanca continuó hasta el mortal asalto del 6 de enero al Capitolio de los Estados Unidos, cuando una multitud de partidarios de Trump intentó bloquear la certificación del Congreso de la elección del presidente Biden. Por otro lado, Pfizer Six FDA Authorization of COVID-19 Vaccine for Children's Age 5 to 11. Si se autoriza, esta sería la primera vacuna COVID-19 para niños más pequeños. La vacuna Pfizer en Biotech está aprobada para personas mayores de 16 años y tiene una preaprobación para personas de 12 a 15 años. Last month, Pfizer released details of a phase 2 o three trial that show its COVID-19 was safe and generated a robust antibody response in children against age 5 to 11. The trial included 2,268 participants age 5 to 11 and used a two-dose regimen of the vaccine administrated 20 days apart. This trial used 10 microgram dose smaller than the 30 microgram dose that has been used for those and older. Las respuestas inmunitarias de las participantes se midieron observando los niveles de anticuerpos neutralizantes en la sangre y comparando esos niveles con un grupo de control de personas de 16 a 25 años que recibieron un régimen de dos dosis con la dosis más grande de 30 microgramos. Pfizer dijo que los niveles se comparan bien con los de las personas mayores que recibieron la dosis mayor, lo que demuestra una fuerza o una respuesta inmunitaria en esta parte de niños un mes después de la segunda dosis. Pfizer began submitting its data on the vaccine for young children to the FDA late last month, but had not formally requested authorization until now. Los funcionarios de la FDA habían dicho que una vez que se presentaran los datos de la vacuna para niños más pequeños, la agencia podría autorizar una vacuna para niños e inclusive más pequeños, pero no dependería del momento y la calidad de los datos proporcionados. In anticipation of that request, the FDA last week scheduled a meeting of its uh, vaccine and related biological products advisory committee to discuss the vaccine in children's age 5 to 11 on October 26. If the FDA is okay, a panel of CDA, CDC vaccine advisor will meet to consider whatever the recommendation is in use. Por otro lado, los piratas informáticos rusos respaldados por el Estado tienen mayor éxito en violar los objetivos del gobierno extranjero, dice Microsoft. Las organizaciones gubernamentales representaron más de la mitad de los objetivos de los grupos de piratería vinculados a Moscú durante el año hasta el junio del 2021, en comparación con solo el 3% del año pasado. Al mismo tiempo, la tasa de éxito de las intrusiones rusas en objetivos gubernamentales y no gubernamentales han pasado al 21% al 32% año tras año, dijo el gerente tecnológico en un informe centrado en la actividad ciberdelincuente y respaldada por el Estado. Gracias por escucharnos. Tomorrow we will bring more information and remember to subscribe to get your daily café conmigo. This show is producido por Fusión Latina Network. Nos escuchamos mañana. Don't mind me, just sneaking out to go to Kohl's. The home deals right now, they're too good to pass up. Like up to 40% off cuddle that's betting up to 50% off the cutest fall decor, and up to 25% off Ninja Kitchen appliances. How can I resist? You can even get 15% off or 15, 20, or 30% off with a Kohl's card. So, yeah, I'm going all in for fall, and I can't even wait.
Select styles. Offers end October 17th. Some exclusions apply. See store or for details. When I'm driving in my Lincoln, the tension gets... Headphones paired. Tuned out. Experience the power of sanctuary at lincoln.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. October the 9th marks the start of Baby Loss Awareness Week as bereaved parents and their loved ones come together to remember the lives of babies who died during pregnancy, soon after birth or in infancy. It's estimated that around a quarter of pregnancies end in miscarriage in the United Kingdom. While around eight babies are stillborn every day here, and one in every 360 babies die within four weeks of birth. That's according to the charity SANS. On an episode of the Sky News Daily podcast we brought to you last year, my colleague Ashna Hurinad looked at the stigma surrounding the loss of a baby. Here's another chance to listen to that podcast. The birth of a child is one of the most celebrated events in society. Family members rush to see a newborn, baby photos are shared on WhatsApp numerous times a day, and parents are inundated with advice and attention whether they want it or not. One of my best friends is expecting and she's not even 15 weeks in and she can't go anywhere, even the supermarket, without someone imparting some words of wisdom. Everyone wants to talk about her baby before it's even arrived, but a miscarriage is a very different story. I'm Becky. I'm 39 years old. I'm a primary school teacher. And my story begins back out in New Zealand. Becky was 24 at the time, and it was here she met her partner. <laughs> we met in the usual way in your mid 20s in the pub. And I moved over there and we got together back in 2010. Since then, they've married and had a daughter. Her name's Matilda. We had three miscarriages before Matilda, and then three after Matilda. The most recent miscarriage was in July. It started back in 2013 and we just got married and found out that we were pregnant and we were flying back to the UK to celebrate and have have another wedding with our family and friends. And as we flew back, I just found out that I was pregnant. And unfortunately, I started to miscarry on the evening of my hen do. It was very early, it was about five weeks maybe six weeks along, and we thought, oh, we're just that statistic, that one in four people miscarry. So we thought, you know, brush yourself off and try again, which we did. Got pregnant very quickly again, only a few months later. And sadly, um, we went for an early scan, which showed that the baby hadn't grown and the heartbeat wasn't there. So that was a miscarriage. It classes as a, a missed miscarriage because my body hadn't realised I was miscarrying. So 
you have to have surgery for them to remove all the pregnancy tissue. So that was really, really hard to deal with. And we thought, that's two, next one surely. And sadly, the same thing happened again. Becky was sent for some tests, but they couldn't find a reason for the miscarriages. You're not worthy of carrying a pregnancy. Your body won't let you do it. But there's, there's no reason why. Her fourth pregnancy, however, resulted in Matilda. We thought that was great and everything was fixed over the moon that we had our daughter and wanted to provide her with a sibling. So tried again a few years after Matilda was born. And sadly, we got pregnant, but then had a natural miscarriage very quickly at five weeks. I couldn't believe it really. So we tried again and got pregnant. It took a a lot longer for that one. Then it was another missed miscarriage where my body hadn't realized that I was having a miscarriage and again had to go for surgery. And we thought, (laughs) we'll try one more time and got pregnant back at the beginning of the lockdown. And we went to have the scan and unfortunately this time they said that the baby was growing in the cesarean scar that I'd had from Matilda's birth and so it became then a different type of miscarriage where it became quite dangerous so I had to have surgery to have it removed from the scar. Her sixth miscarriage. Having to go through several miscarriages I guess you just lose the the magic of being pregnant. You wake up in the morning expecting to find that you've miscarried in the night. Maybe when you go to the toilet, you check every time, am I bleeding? When you get further on in the pregnancy, you think, oh, baby hasn't moved. I've not felt the move for however many minutes even. Never mind a day. Some people with healthy pregnancies may say, oh, I've not felt the move for a couple of days. You don't get that far after you've suffered a miscarriage. Constantly, you're almost looking for reasons to think that you have miscarried again. Even when they went for the 20-week scan with Matilda, they were told that their baby had a heart condition and she wouldn't make it to the end of the pregnancy. So again, we, we lost that that joy and excitement of the thoughts of what you're going to have. And, and mir- miraculously, Matilda made it through and she's doing amazingly well. So we are so, so fortunate that we have this little miracle. When talking about her experience, several times Becky mentioned a feeling of being judged for what she'd been through. With some people, you do feel as though you might not want to mention it to someone for the fact that they might point the finger. And even if they don't, you might feel like they're looking at you as though it's your fault or, or maybe saying something behind your back. And unfortunately, some people with the greatest heartfelt meaning might say the wrong thing as well. And People say things like, oh, it wasn't meant to be this time. And you think, well, why not? That's, that's not a reason. That must mean that my body's decided it wasn't meant to be and then it's my fault. Those kinds of comments do point the finger if they say what's meant to be is meant to be. It means you're not, you're not supposed to have children. Statistics show that one in four women experience miscarriage in their lifetime. But it's a subject that many feel reluctant to speak openly about. I do often get the question of, you know, oh, is that your only one? When are you going to have another one? And I don't feel that I can turn around and say, well, I've tried and I've had three more miscarriages because you're going to make them feel awkward. And it shouldn't be about 
they should feel awkward because they ask such a personal question. But yet me being the one who had the miscarriages, I'm the one who feels that I don't want to make the situation awkward. I, I tend to tell family and friends at the beginning and I just say to them, well, I've had another positive test, but we'll see. Let's hope. I appreciate anybody who wants to spend a minute just thinking about the fact that myself or other people have suffered through this. And then maybe one day women won't feel like they've got to keep it a secret and they will celebrate that they're pregnant and also have people there to support them if they do lose it. The Duchess of Sussex has written about her husband's heartbreak in an article which reveals she had a miscarriage over the summer. Meghan lost her baby in July, adding... Teagan has broken her silence following the loss of her baby and told fans she and husband John Legend are OK. She had a miscarriage. She'd been in a hospital recently with complications related to the pregnancy. Charities are praising Meghan Markle for sending a powerful message to others who've had a miscarriage. The Duchess of Sussex has revealed she lost a baby in July. It's one of the most personal and painful experiences women and families can possibly go through, and one we've traditionally heard little about. But is that changing? Welcome to the Sky News Daily podcast with me, Ashna Harinag. Thanks for joining us as we examine the story beyond the headline. On today's episode... I read it and I thought, wow, okay, this is something that I didn't expect. The message from the Duchess of Sussex, it's okay not to be okay. On this darkest of days, we will grieve. The words of model Chrissy Teigen. Both have publicly revealed this year that they have lost their baby. We ask, are the experiences of influential women helping to end the taboo around miscarriage? So we're talking about famous women who have huge following talking about these issues that are not often spoken about. Is it time we talk about this more? Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are used to making uh, headlines. news, and it is about uh, Harry and Meghan and a statement from uh, Prince Harry and Meghan saying they're stepping back. Uh, from royal duties. But arguably, this year was the most personal and heartbreaking of them all. The Duchess of Sussex revealed she'd had a miscarriage, an experience still heaped in stigma and buried in taboo. But with so many women and men suffering alone and asking, why me? We ask whether Meghan and influential women like her, who in the past have been so vocal about the importance of mental health, are paving the way for change. Well, our Royal Correspondent, Rhiannon Mills, has been following the story. Rhiannon, thank you for being with us. Now, before the release of this New York Times article where Meghan revealed the loss of her baby, do we know how much the wider royal family knew of this? So it was very interesting. When it came out, I think, of course, the big question was, did the royal family know about it? And um, speaking to some of those close to Harry and Meghan, they told me that uh, Harry had discussed it with his family um and also then later on we sort of heard sort of through palace sources that actually within the royal family there was understandable sadness when they heard about this news but i think there was obviously a lot of discussion about whether or not the royal family would have known because there's been so much talk uh, over recent months about sort of the relationship between the sussexes and the royal family ever since they decided to uh, step away and set up this new life 
over in America. People don't really know what to say when this happens, do they? So when it's a family such as this and suddenly everyone knows about it, what's the reaction been like? I think the reaction has widely been incredibly supportive of Harry and Meghan. Um, For me, what's interesting is you have to put this in the context of ever since Harry and Meghan decided to step away from royal duties at the start of this year, they have faced quite a lot of criticism when it comes to some of the subjects that they've decided to be engaged with. Um, And also some people have sometimes described the way that they've done that as being too personal, maybe too self-indulgent. So I think the reason that the fact they want to talk about something so personal within their relationship has obviously taken a lot of guts, really, because they know that Megan, yes, like many women, has gone through this experience, but she is one of the most famous women in the world at the moment. And everything that she says, everything that she writes down is immediately going to be picked apart and analysed. And so for her to describe in what was really heartbreaking, incredibly raw terms, what her and Harry had gone through uh, in those kind of very intimate moments when they were in hospital, um, I think has taken a lot of guts from her. But it was interesting speaking to someone very close to them. Um, I was told that very soon after it happened, they felt they needed to be able to, to talk about it. But also, I think it's in many ways, it's not surprising because it it ties in with what we've seen them doing so much of in the past, especially when it comes to Prince Harry talking, for example, about his own mental health. Mm. They feel that if with their profile, they can talk about these things, it will hopefully in some way encourage others to feel much more um, open and relaxed about talking about their own experiences and try and yeah break down the stigma when it comes to what is something that affects so many women and so many couples. As you say, reading it, you're struck by how intimate and deeply personal. I mean, it's that moment that Prince Harry is there with Meghan as she's in the hospital bed and having to cope with that discovery together. We've spoken a lot about women in this podcast. We are speaking a lot about women, but men too, of course, feel the effects of this. And Harry has spoken about the importance of his mental health. This is this is very much in Meghan's words. So we're yet to find out whether or not Prince Harry also decides to sort of publicly talk about it. I suspect there is no doubt that if he does an interview or if he he does any kind of um, uh, interviews, he he will be asked about it. It's, it's inevitable now. But it was around doing this story. I, I went and spoke to a counsellor, and it was really interesting what she had to say about the husband or partner when this happens, when a miscarriage happens, because the man in the relationship is almost expected to be the strong one. They're expected to look after the woman who's going through this awful physical pain, kind of the mental turmoil of it. But also they're losing a child as well. And so as well as Megan writing in this way, hopefully breaking down that taboo when it comes to um, other women talking about it, I think, well, this counsellor was also saying it can only be a good thing when it comes to to men feeling that they can actually open up and and talk about their experience and talk about how difficult it is for them. Um, and also the counsellor made the point that it's it's the family group around, it's it's friends. People find it very difficult, especially if if a couple have already sort of in some way celebrated the fact that they're pregnant and then all of a sudden it all crashes around, crashes down around them. Where do you even start? How do you kind of broach that conversation and how do you support them in the right way? 
But within this article, Megan makes the point, it, it's okay to ask people, are you okay? That's enough. Sometimes that can be enough to simply open up that conversation. I think it's fair to say, since it's been published as well, there's been quite a bit of judgment, good and bad. But how much backlash has there been? I think compared to some of the, the criticism that they've faced uh, over other issues in recent months, uh, I think on this one, it's quite difficult for anybody to to criticise a woman who has opened up in this way about that most personal of experiences. So I think uh, those who in the past would have maybe sort of said, oh, well, look, it's all a bit self-indulgent and it's all too personal. I think with this one, they have pretty much backed off. And uh, I think, well, when you read the article, that's not surprising, really. She's she's opening up in a way that um, I think any woman sitting there and reading that can, um, yeah, sympathise. And, and so I think anyone who tried to criticise her for that, um, I don't think they necessarily would would find many supporting them um, on that one. But yeah, Harry and Meghan, they are they're, they're in a difficult place in some ways, um, trying to trying to set up this new way of working, um, always being compared with, well, is this something a member of the royal family would do or isn't it? Um, while also trying to kind of embark on this new path and, and try to be authentic to the way that they want to want to do things. But this article, I have to say, did particularly sort of come out of the blue. Um, but I think it shows that their passion, really, that if they feel that they want to talk about something, if they feel that it can make a difference to others, um, then they will stick their head above the parapet and they, they don't mind what their critics have to say. They're, they're willing to take that risk. And... In the past, Zara Tyndall, Princess Anne's daughter, has done interviews about two miscarriages she's had, but it didn't have the same effect. Why do you think that is? Is it because they are that couple that the yeah. world's attention is on them, isn't it? I think it is. Some of it is, of course, to do with um, Harry and Meghan's profile. They have this incredible global profile, um, the most enormous platform. Um which certainly has been fascinating for me to to watch how that has grown ever since um, ever since they they got engaged really um, and the way that they've decided to to use that platform. So yeah, I think it was inevitable that an article like this from Megan was bound to attract more attention than anything that other members of the royal family um, have said. It's something that other members of the royal family have touched on, but I don't think we've ever seen them write down kind of in these very raw terms in the way that Megan has. And Rihanna, you mentioned earlier that this article came out of the blue. Um, what do you make of that? It was one of those mornings where, and, and you often get them as a raw correspondent, um, where the article dropped and I read it and I thought, wow, okay, this is something that I didn't expect. Of course, Harry and Megan ever since they got married, first of all, there was like, well, when are they going to have their first child? Then we had Archie being born. Ever since Archie's been born, there's, of course, been the inevitable question that many couples face, which is, oh, when are they going to have their their second child? Um, But to read an article like this, I I just think it's the way that she's written it in sort of the most intimate and raw terms. Um, It's quite shocking, really. It's heartbreaking to read. Um, but yeah, from everything that I was told, as soon as that miscarriage happened, they wanted to be able to talk about this openly. 
Um, and the article itself, which I think lots of people haven't really talked about, the article itself is really about that sense of everyone has had a terrible 2020 in many ways. It's been an, it's been an awful year for many people. And Megan, within this article, was saying, look, as we were head, as they were heading towards Thanksgiving over in America, as we're heading towards Christmas, this should be an opportunity for us all to look around and say to those closest to us, our, our work colleagues, anyone that we come into contact with, are you OK? But for Megan, she obviously wanted to use this most personal of experiences to really get that message across, saying 2020 has been difficult. This is why it's been difficult for me and my husband. But we all now need to reach out and ask everyone around us, are you OK? And I'm not sure that the takeaway message from the article ended up being that. I think the fact that she talked about her miscarriage was the thing that everyone focused on. But I think it does show what Harry and Meghan want to try and achieve is, yeah, make us all talk more about our mental health and use their own personal experiences as a springboard for that to allow others to talk as well. Our Royal Correspondent, Rhiannon Mills, thank you. Coming up, we take a closer look at the wider conversations around miscarriage and the difference celebrity experiences could be making to thousands of women every day. The best innovation comes when there is a need and a problem to solve. Rarely have we faced a more testing time. Join us live from Yorkshire for the first in a series of Sky News in-person events where we will explore how to fire up UK business. Watch thought-provoking discussions with Sky News experts on building a stronger and greener economy. Big Ideas Live, Tuesday the 12th of October on Sky News TV, mobile and podcast. The Miscarriage Association says, to their knowledge, one in four women miscarry. Many will lose a child without telling anybody, their doctor included, meaning lots of data goes unrecorded. Ruth Bender-Artic is from the charity. What we don't know has to be huger than what we do know. We, we do know of some causes, uh, probably over half of all first trimester miscarriages, though those in the first 12 weeks, are caused by one-off chromosome errors. So something's gone wrong in the very early development of either the, the, the sperm or the egg. Um, so that there might be the beginnings of a pregnancy, but it can't it can't develop and grow as it should. There are probably some other reasons too. Certainly, sometimes uh, hormonal problems might be uh, an issue or part of the cause. There may be some issues around blood clotting and immune disorders. But generally speaking, most women who miscarry. Well, I guess two things. First of all, most women who miscarry, miscarry once. They tend not to have repeat miscarriages, although some do. But also most women who miscarry um, won't ever find out or be offered investigations to try and find out why they miscarried. For, for many people, it is something that they will want to keep just to their their nearest and dearest because they don't necessarily talk about it with others. They might not want other people to know they're even trying to have a baby. But I think there are bigger issues too. There are issues around discomfort with anything that's to do with women's reproductive systems. We don't talk about periods very much. We still have adverts that show purple ink rather than blood 
on on sanitary pads. Um, it's it's an uncomfortable topic for many. But I think in addition, we're not great at talking about death or grief or loss, even with an older person. And it's even more difficult, I think, for people to talk about this when they're talking about um, an unseen loss or an unknown person. So if you miscarry, particularly early in your pregnancy, you know, perhaps before 14, 15 weeks when many people won't know you're pregnant, um, people often will say things like, well, at least it wasn't a baby. Um, well, never mind, you're young, you can always have another one. And, and they try and cheer you up by wanting to wanting you to think that it's it's not a big deal. But actually for the person who's pregnant, for most of them, not for everyone, they've known since the time they were pregnant, since they got their positive pregnancy test, they've been thinking about the future, about the baby, their plans and hopes and dreams and dates and, and images of the future. And that's what they're losing. Addressing the societal issues of miscarriage is one thing, but what are some of the medical answers? A really good port of call is either the charity Tommies or the Miscarriage Association, where you can find you know, both sort of information and statistics, but also pointers to where you can get further support. Dr Zainab Girton is a sociologist lecturer of women's reproduction at University College London. Dr Zainab Girton, thank you for joining us. To begin, would you mind sharing whether you've heard of any stories or women's experiences with miscarriage? And if you can, could you tell us what are some of those experiences that have stuck with you the most? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the women I have spoken with have had some experiences of reproductive loss or reproductive disappointments, you might, um, you might call them. And I think, you know, all of those experiences are unique and profound in many ways. But perhaps one of the things that really sticks out is how something like a miscarriage is it's very it's very common it's much more common than we would uh, imagine it tends to affect one in four women um but it can mean such different things depending on the context so depending on for example whether a woman already has children or whether you know she's never been pregnant before and is going through a miscarriage in her first pregnancy um you know depending on her age depending on the amount of support she might have around her that miscarriage can take on very varied and different meanings in the life and the kind of the emotional reality of that woman. So I think that's a really important thing to note. What um, emotions come out of these stories? What are some of the common themes that you're seeing? We've heard in the past a lot about stigma and self-blame. Does that resonate with what you've heard? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the saddest parts of the sort of the stigma and the taboo that's attached to talking about things uh, like miscarriage and just loss and grief more generally in our society is that those people who end up going through those experiences often don't realise just how common they are. So they can feel quite isolated in their experience and sometimes um, sometimes those women can really feel that they have done something wrong or that there is something wrong with them, you know, because all around us it seems like, um, you know, it can often feel like all our friends are sort of having children with ease or getting pregnant with ease. So for women who are themselves going through a difficult fertility journey, it can often really feel like a, a personal failure. Um, and obviously that's uh, that's incredibly uh, devastating and um, and it would be much better if if we could support women to know that it's 
it's not it's not their failing. As a lecturer of women's health, then, when what you're saying there about society, do you think progress is being made in some way? Is society becoming more passionate or are we far from that? I think there is definitely uh, some progress that has been made. And, you know, these recent examples of celebrities talking about their own experiences, you know, whether we're talking about Michelle Obama writing in her book about going through IVF or Chrissy Teigen's Instagram photos um, about the stillbirth of her son or, you know, the very recent article that Megan wrote about her miscarriage. You know, that is a huge amount of progress. We're talking about famous women who have huge following talking about these issues that are not often spoken about in the public. So that sends a really, really strong message. And that definitely is progress. And I think more generally, progress is also being made in terms of, for example, more sensitively treating these experiences within a medical context, you know, showing more sensitivity for women's emotional well-being as well as their physical well-being. But I think we still have some way to go. With these celebrities speaking out, what role do you think they have to play in this? Do they somehow help legitimise it, normalise the pain and the trauma? And do you think it has a kind of domino effect, I guess, with more people feeling like they can share their experiences? I think it really does. I mean, I think... Um, as, as you will have seen, you know, these celebrities who speak about these experiences, they often get an extremely mixed reaction. So both Chrissy Teigen and Megan, they received a lot of support um, and a lot of praise from particularly, you know, pregnancy loss charities for tackling these taboos. But on the other hand, they also received a lot of criticism, um, you know, the idea that they're oversharing or that this is attention seeking or that these topics should not be spoken about. But I think it's really, really important that these women are, are saying these things in public because it does make a difference to the individuals who are going through the experience themselves. And also it makes it easier for just normal women to raise the topic with their friends. In normal life, a lot of people feel quite uh, shy or reserved about speaking about these experiences because they don't want to upset, you know, their family members or friends. So, you know, some of that criticism towards celebrities is also this idea of, you know, don't talk about upsetting things. Don't talk about, um, you know, these sort of difficult problems. And I I think we really should be going in the opposite direction and realising that, you know, life has its ups and life has its downs. And I think it's really commendable that, celebrities who are often associated with these sort of very glitzy and glossy lifestyles can also reveal um, the times when, when, you know, they're going through the troughs. Mm. Especially when you think one in four women are going through this and for us to not be able to talk about it, I think it's really sad. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'll just say, you know, uh, many of the women I've interviewed who've said, you know, when they were brave enough to open up to a few friends about their own miscarriages, they often found out that actually they knew people around them who'd already been through the same thing. You know, if you've never spoken about these topics and your first experience is when you're going through your own miscarriage, that can be all the more traumatising because you're not prepared. Whereas, you know, if these are topics we... I'm, I'm not saying everybody has to have conversations about miscarriage all the time, of course not. But if we can speak about these things in the way we speak about, you know... I don't know, some of the difficulties of pregnancy more generally, then then it's not such a shock um, if people find themselves in that situation. And I'm assuming there are cultural and societal attitudes to pregnancy loss that vary around the globe. Um, just going back to the taboo, why do you think there is a taboo? Is it because, as you were saying before, these women are feeling isolated and that it's a deeply personal trauma that they um, are keeping within them. What do you think needs to be done to break this taboo? 
Yeah, I mean, in a sort of in a much broader cultural sense, I think a lot of the taboos go back to um, fairly archaic ideas, you know, very patriarchal ideas where women's worth in society was judged very much, uh, very much indexed to their ability to give birth to healthy children, you know, as if that was the thing that women um, existed in order to be able to do. And of course, while it's incredibly important to be able to... Um, to mother and nurture, certainly, I think we are moving past, at least consciously, the a, a sort of um, a societal expectation that that's women's primary and only and most important role. So I think there are some attitudes that hark back to that. But even you know, even religious undertones or undertones around ideas around control and grief really play into why these topics are taboo. And I think these days, a lot of people find the the idea that, you know, these bad things can sometimes happen to good people for no reason. Um, quite uncomfortable. With lots of women choosing to maybe delay having children for whatever reason, whether it's career or relationships aren't right at that time, um, does that have a part to play in all of this? In many cases, women are not necessarily choosing to have children much later. Um, they're finding that they're having children later or they're in a position to have children later for a range of factors that have not entirely been within their control. You know, some of those are economic factors and how difficult it is to feel that you're established or that you're secure in your job or that you have a house, etc. But a lot of those are relational factors and it's to do with the changing nature of relationships and men's hesitance to commit. So in many cases, a lot of the women I speak with, particularly women who are becoming first time mothers in their 40s, um, when I ask them these questions around later motherhood, they often tell me they would have been extremely happy to have had children five years ago, but they just weren't in a position to mostly because they didn't have a partner or they didn't have the right partner um, with whom to uh, embark on a family with. And Dr Zainab, what medical answers are out there? Um, where do we go from here, I guess? So there are some really great um, charities that help both help women who are suffering through these experiences, but also give really good information. So if anybody has been impacted by these issues, I would say a really good port of call is either the charity Tommy's or the Miscarriage Association, where you can find, you know, both sort of information and statistics, but also pointers to where you can get further support. Dr Zainab, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's it until next time. My thanks goes to Rhiannon, Ruth, and Zainab. Head to Sky News for all the latest on this story. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Sky News Daily Podcast, hosted by me, Ashna Harinag, and produced by Emma Ray Woodhouse and Anna Bates. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcasting app you prefer. And if you've enjoyed this, we'd love a review. See you next time. Episode, please leave us a review on iTunes.
please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.